Uh, this is something that I, I, I know we, ha- we talked about this when we first started, and I think several years ago I brought it up again. This is one of those passages, one of these, one of these pictures that we need to be kept in remembrance of, and so if enough years pass, I will be preaching some form of this again. Uh, you know, if you're studying rules of Bible study, you know that God's word, we understand it, we can get insight through the, through the pictures that are there through the types that emerge as we study scripture. Uh, we've got a lot to cover in a very short time, but, but get this down in your notes, okay? This is key. The Old Testament accounts, the Old Testament records, they're recorded to, you know, as, they're a pattern for us to learn from. That's what they are. They're recorded to pattern for us to learn, to get, to get insight, to get wisdom, how we must live or how we should not live our lives. And the Bible says this very specifically in 1 Corinthians 10, 11. All these things happened unto them for our ensamples, uh, for, as a model for us, an illustration for us. They are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are common. So these stories that you read about the Old Testament saints and the Old Testament villains, uh, we need those stories because they give us insight. Romans 15, 4. Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And so the picture of of King Saul as a New Testament believer, uh, I think this is one that we need to consider, we need to keep in mind. Uh, I think this will prep us for mission focus and for the year ahead. And and so tonight I just wanna look at, I wanna look at King Saul and, and here's what we need to see, you know, is that Saul is one of the foremost pictures in your Bible or types in your Bible uh, in the Old Testament of the New Testament Christian today. And he is a foremost type or picture, not because he's such a great example of what it would mean to be a Christian. He's actually not. Uh, The reason I say it's a foremost example is because so much of Christianity today looks like King Saul. And so we need to be warned. Uh, What the story of Saul does is it pictures for us the points of failure in our walk with God as New Testament believers in Jesus Christ. And so don't miss the picture of Saul's salvation. In 1 Samuel chapter nine, verse two, here is a, a, a son named Saul. Here's how he's described, a choice young man and goodly. He's good looking. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. Guys, there's a way to maybe approach one of the ladies. You're one of the goodliest. There's not a woman in MBT that's goodlier than you, you know? Not a, I mean, not a person goodlier than he. From his shoulders and upwards, he was higher than any of the people. So get this down. You know, in terms of the flesh, Saul had natural assets. And that's a problem for him. I don't know if you've noticed this, but pretty people have a tough time uh, staying faithful to the Lord. Beauty is vain. Uh, you know, and the reason why is because they've got all these natural, fleshly assets that are distraction. They've got more options to choose from. There's more ways that they can go through life. Beauty buys them access. And on top of that, in the story of Saul, when we're introduced to him, he's out looking for some asses. And so, you know, I'm not even gonna go into what that's a picture of, but, but here it is, okay? He is consumed with a pursuit in the natural world, and then God, 
God, God shows up. Samuel anoints Saul as king in 1 Samuel chapter 10. So grab your Bible, look at 1 Samuel chapter 10. We're, you, I'll put all the other cross references up, but if they're in 1 Samuel, you're gonna look it up. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse six. Saul anoints, uh, or, or Samuel anoints Saul as king and tells him, here's the promise, and the spirit of the Lord will come upon thee and thou shalt prophesy with them and shalt be turned into another man. There is a picture, right, of the promise of salvation. But more than that, here is God's promise to empower this man for the mission that he's called to. So look at verse seven. And let it be when these signs are coming to thee that thou do as the occasion serve thee, for God is with thee. So here's the promise of God's word that he's gonna be, he's God's man, empowered for God's mission, and that God is gonna be with him in the work. Well now, didn't Jesus make that exact same promise to us, church? Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, right, what does he say? Go, here's your mission, go into all the world. Preach the gospel, those that respond, baptize them, and then disciple them. Matthew 28, 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And look at the promise. In that mission, church, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, amen. Didn't God give us a promise? Didn't he give us a mission and a promise to empower us and to be with us, just like he did King Saul? I hope you see the picture. I mean, if God's with us in the mission, how can we lose? And this is so cool because Saul, I mean, look, look at 1 Samuel 10, 9. He believed and received the word of God from Samuel. And what's the result? Verse 9. And it was so that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart, and all those signs came to pass that day. Well, isn't that what happened to us? We heard, we received the word of God. Again, we, we talked about this on Sunday. Romans 10, 17. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the... You know, you don't have faith, it's because you, man, you have not considered, you haven't heard the word of God. That's why we're able to call on Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior for salvation. We heard the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we've been given another heart. We, too, have been turned into another man, haven't we? 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is what? Turned into another man, isn't he? He's a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. And what an incredible work, just like King Saul, what an incredible work that God has done in our lives. We too are empowered for the ministry that's before us. Don't we have God's Holy Spirit indwelling us? Isn't God with us? That's the promise, isn't it? How can we fail? How can we, how can we fail to succeed in the work that God's called us to when he's promised to be with us in it? By verse 24, Saul's installed as king. Look at 1 Samuel 10, 24. Samuel said, un, said to all the people, see ye him whom the Lord hath chosen, that there is none like him among the people. And the people shouted and said, God save the king. Well, I mean, isn't that how, I mean, that's God's plan for us, isn't it? Revelation chapter one, verses four through six, we see incredible, incredible insight. We see Jesus. In verse five, we see who he is, what he's done. Verse five says he's loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And then watch this, verse six, and hath made us kings. He's made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. 
To him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. Uh, you know, brothers and sisters, you're Saul. That's the picture, is everybody with me? Everything that God did for Saul, he did for you. So that's the picture of his salvation, but now let's look at the picture of the spiritual battle. Uh, it's incredible a moment in Israel. They have a king, and there's none goodlier. God saved the king, and then the attack comes. Immediately the attack came, and so get this down in your notes. Attacks always come. There's always some attack. You say, I don't feel like there's any attack right now. You're being set out. I mean, you're absolute. watch out. You're about to step into an attack, okay? It's, there's always, you're either just finished with an attack, you're going through an attack, or one's getting ready to come up on you. Okay, so there it is. There's always a spiritual battle. In 1 Samuel chapter 11, in verses one through four, we see the enemy come. But God already made promises. According to the promise of God's word, Saul, God's word, Saul was equipped for this ministry and service to God's people. And so in verse five, Saul hears all the people crying because they're under attack. And so when Saul found out what was happening, verse six, the spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard those tidings and his anger was kindled greatly. This can't happen to God's people. He cuts up a yoke of oxen, sends them out. Whosoever cometh not forth after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done unto his oxen. Like if you don't help me fight this battle, I'm coming for you and hell's coming with me. You know, coming to cut you down, you know. So everybody's afraid. The fear of the Lord fell upon the people and they came with one consent. And immediately, the next day, Saul leads his people to win victory for Israel. I mean, it's incredible. And we could, put out, we could point out so many things about Saul that, that draws the parallel to our lives, but we need to get right to the crux of the matter, why Saul is such an excellent picture of the New, the New Testament believer today. Uh, let's look at his failure. There was a day in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse five, when the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel. 1 Samuel 13, verse five. Uh, it's a big army, 30,000 chariots, chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is upon the seashore in multitude. So they're outnumbered, they're outmatched, they're outclassed. In terms of physical capacity, they're facing a battle that they cannot be, you know, they can't be victorious in. Verse six, when the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed, then did the people, then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. Job's too big, so we hide. Man, let's not hide. Let's pray that we hear from the Lord this mission focus. Some of the Hebrews went over Jordan into the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal and all the people followed him trembling and he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. So Saul had gotten a word from the Lord through Samuel again, wait seven days, I'll come and uh, offer the sacrifice. But Samuel came not to Gilgal and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings and he offered the burnt offering. So again, God already told him what was gonna happen but saw, he saw things growing desperate. He's losing control over the situation, over the people. He feels like his ability to lead them is slipping and so he grows desperate and he tries to do something clever. He wants to do the smart thing. He wants to fix the problem. 
He wants to, he wants to do something to make right what's going wrong in this hard time. Everybody's freaking out, everybody's panicking, he's wanting to reassure them. Hey, we've got God on our side, but he does it the wrong way. Pastors, ministry leaders, Bible study leaders, you know, so many times you'll be tempted just like this. You'll watch, you'll watch a member struggle. Maybe you watch your kids struggle. Uh, and really, what they're struggling with is, is to withdraw in serving the Lord. There's some fear that's hindering them. Or, or conversely, what the struggle is, is, is some temptation to go whoring after the things of the world. And we watch them wrestle. We watch our membership wrestle with following in ministry before the Lord and, and the temptation is to try to do something, to try to gen up excitement, to try to, to, try to uh, uh, invigorate momentum. So many pastors are trying to come up with something exciting to get people excited about coming to church. So they'll have uh, you know, some, some provocative sermon series you know, with the idea of getting people excited about coming to church. The temptation is to try and do something. And Satan's always there with any possible solution. Anything, do anything and everything but wait on the Lord. Do anything and everything but take it to the Lord in prayer. Maybe you're wrestling with something that's getting out of your control. Got a big situation that you're dealing with. It's beyond your capacity. You're outnumbered, you're outmatched. Man, praise the Lord. You're wrestling with something that's potentially it's gonna get out of your control, that's good. Because you've got a God-sized problem. And so you know what you do, Psalms 27, 14 says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. All the God's people would recognize that the battle is the Lord's, and he is mighty to save. And whenever they're looking at difficult situations and the temptation is I'm gonna fix this through my effort, through my strength, through my power, through my ingenuity, that they would take it and they would just shut the whole thing up to God and say, God, hear, God, see, God, look, look at this problem. I'm trusting for you to show yourself strong. It came to pass, verse 10, as soon as he made an end of offering the burnt offering, Samuel shows up, he goes out to greet Samuel. Samuel said, verse 11, what hast thou done? And Saul makes excuse. He says, because I saw the people were scattered from me and that thou camest not within the days appointed. It's your fault. I couldn't obey God. And that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Mishmash. Somebody had to do something. Therefore said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself therefore and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said, to Saul, thou hast done foolishly, thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he, hath, which he commanded thee. Now you're gonna lose the kingdom. So get this down. God is always watching, he's always waiting to come through for you. But he's gonna allow situations that are bigger than you to threaten you. God's waiting to come through, but he's gonna allow your faith to be tested to see if you will actually follow his word and rely on the power of his spirit which he has given you to see you through. Will you rely on the promises of his word to be made reality in your life or are you gonna fix it yourself? And this is, this is Saul's problem uh, over and over again. This is the mistake that he makes. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 15. 
In 1 Samuel 15, we'll just skim through the chapter here. In verse one, Samuel says to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore, hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and uh, all that they have, and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. And Saul gathered the people together, numbered them. He's got his army now. Verse seven, he smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur, that is over against Egypt. And then watch this. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul... He's guilty, and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. So, you know, he doesn't, there's no complete consecration here. He just serves the Lord as long as it's easy to serve the Lord, but when, his, when greed's on the line, well, he's got to, He's got to love mammon more than the Lord. So the word of the Lord comes to Samuel, saying, it repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me. He won't keep my word, and hath not performed my commandments. Saul cried about it all night. Um, Verse 13, Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, what meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen oxen which I hear? And Saul said, they, the people, they they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people, well the text says it was Saul and the people, right? I mean in verse five, Saul's obeying God. In verse seven, Saul's obeying God. But in verses eight and nine, he, Saul, took Agag, kept him alive. Verse nine, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the flocks. Verse 15, Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. The rest we have utterly destroyed. And then Samuel said unto Saul, stay, shut your mouth, hush, right, stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said unto me to this, this night. And, um, you know, you, the conclusion in verse 19 is you did not obey the voice of the Lord. You, you got greedy. You flew on the spoil. You did evil in the sight of the Lord. Look at Saul's response in verse 20. Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me and have, and have brought Agag the king to Amalek and have, and, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites but the people took of the spoil, the sheep and the oxen. Look at verse 24, comes out, what's really going on with Saul. He admits it, Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore I pray, pardon my sin and turn against me that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. 
So Saul, his perspective is, I'm not gonna be viewed as a good, like, a, like I'm a good king by the people if I toe the line with God's word. And so I'm gonna compromise. Instead of trusting God for the reality of his word, instead of being completely consecrated into his service, I'm gonna do it as long as it's convenient for me, as long as it's easy for me. But if the chips are down and it's tough, well, I'm gonna compromise. And so here it is, at the, at the base of everything, he, he admits his fear of how the people are viewing him in the moment. I feared the people and obeyed their voice. What, are we do, what kind of idiot kills livestock like this? Well, yeah, yeah obviously, obviously then we, you know, this is profitable for, obviously we wouldn't, we wouldn't kill the choice selection of the, of the herds, obviously, but the rest of it we're supposed to utterly, like, like it's just, it's compromise for self-promotion, you know? But he's afraid of the people. And, and so don't miss this. Get this down in your notes. Fear kills faith in what God has promised and promotes. It promotes unbelief. Fear kills faith in what God's promised in his word. And fear promotes unbelief. Fear allows Satan victory and foothold in the life of the believer. If you're afraid of what people think about you, if you're afraid of how the world's gonna perceive you, you're not gonna move forward in faith. And then the famous passage here in verses 22 and 23, you know, hath the Lord is great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. You know, Saul tries to make it like, we kept this good stuff because we're gonna sacrifice to your God. No, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken, to listen to, to submit to the word of God is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he, the Lord, hath also rejected thee from being king. And you get the summary statement in verse 35. Uh, Samuel's mourning for Saul, but the Lord is mourning over Saul being made king of Israel. The Lord repented that he made Saul king over Israel. And the same danger exists, I mean the absolute possibility exists to grieve the Lord today. We're commanded not to do it in Ephesians 4.30. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed until the day of redemption. You see, but you can, whenever you let fear of circumstances or fear of people or fear of the world kill your faith in what God has promised you in his word, then what you do is you quench the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Stephen said as much in Acts chapter seven, verse 51, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. The prophets came and gave you the word of the Lord and instead of submitting to it, you rebelled. Why are you resisting the Holy Ghost? You get that? You see the principle? The word of the Lord came to Saul, but it was tough for him to obey it. It was difficult. He'd be viewed poorly by the people. he would be viewed poorly by the people in terms of the financial decisions as well. And so, you know, golly. That is a pretty good looking goat. Might help increase the quality of my herds. You know, that, it ends up quenching the Holy Spirit's power in our life whenever we compromise on God's word. See, listen, when times are hard, when the circumstances are dark, when the problem looks like it's about to eat your lunch, 
believe God, wait on the Lord, he is able, he's given you his spirit that you might be victorious in that spiritual battle. That you might be able in the mission that he's called you to and don't let Satan sell you a lie. Like you're alone and God's not with you. That God's not gonna help you in a difficult circumstance or with a difficult mission. Romans eight says that if we're led by the spirit of God, we're the sons of God. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption. Verse 15 says, whereby this spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 16 says, and the spirit beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and of children, then heirs, heirs of God. God is, if you're God's child, God is with you. Nothing can change that. And the spirit that he's given you, the spirit that God gives you is a spirit of acceptance. You are accepted in the beloved. You are part, I mean, God loves you like his own child because that's exactly what you are. You're a child of God. He will never leave you or forsake you. And so if you think you're all alone, that's another spirit. The devil's lying to you. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says that God didn't give you a spirit of fear. The spirit that he gave you is a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. And so if you're thinking that God has somehow abandoned you, that your circumstances are so big, God's not interested in helping you, brother, sister, you need to get full of faith. Stop listening to the enemy and start listening to the spirit. When you face an overwhelming problem, that's great. Wait on the Lord, he's faithful. Listen to what David said, Psalms 27, eight. When thou said, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. That's the answer. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. He can't forsake you, so you can riff on that. Lord, you'll never forsake me. You're the God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in the plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Here it is, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Saul didn't wait on the Lord, and he ended up in Satan's trap. Saul didn't trust the Lord for the reality of his word over his life. He compromised and he ends up in Satan's snare. And so where Saul ends up, by 1 Samuel chapter 28, you see Saul so ruled by the spirit of fear that he actually hires a witch to conjure up Samuel's spirit, Samuel, the soul of Samuel. You read about that in 1 Samuel chapter 28. He disguises himself, he hires this witch and he brings up Samuel or he, you know, he, like, I'm scared. I've got, a, I've got a battle ahead of me that I, I, I just don't know how I'm gonna face. And Samuel's like, well, you're gonna die. He says, you will today, you'll be with me today. Where's Samuel? He's in paradise. Saul went to heaven. Smelling like hell, but he went to heaven. He went to paradise. Saul is a picture, he's a type of the New Testament believer in these last days. Listen, you know, Chronicles gives you God's perspective on the account of the kings, and so I want you to hear God's post-mortem on the life and death of Saul. Look at 1 Chronicles 10, 13, and 14. So Saul died for two reasons. Number one, his transgression, which he committed against the Lord, even against the word of the Lord, which he kept not. 
He didn't trust God for the reality of his word. He compromised. So he died for that. It was his undoing. And number two, also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it. And inquired not of the Lord, therefore he slew him and turned the kingdom unto David, the son of Jesse. You know, God intended to use Saul in mighty ways. But he was hindered through unbelief. Instead of listening to the word of God, he listened to a spirit of fear and it was his undoing. God today intends to use his people in mighty ways. Let's not hinder the work of the spirit in our life through unbelief. How many victories has Satan won because God's children did not take God at his word? How many victories has Satan won through our unbelief? And even though you know, we can be guilty of grieving the Holy Spirit, he will not leave us. His promise is to empower us for ministry. And so if, if today we'll decide we're gonna move forward in faith. Some of you, you've got situations in your life that you're dealing with. You've got family members that do not think a life in Christ amounts for, uh, they don't think it amounts to anything. They don't think it counts for anything. And they're just off going away that's right in their own eyes. Well, we've all read that book before. We all know this story. You go away that's right in your own eyes. It's a path that leads to death. It'll lead to, it, it will lead them to hard times. They are signing up for the school of hard knocks. And what do they need? What do they desperately need? They need you to be fruitful in your relationship with the Lord. They need you to be on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. They need you to be, they need you to refuse compromise. They need to see someone in their life that is taking God at their word, at, at, at his word, and they're settling for nothing less. The best thing you can do for a family member that's struggling is you, can, you get full of faith. You get on fire for the Lord. It's like, um, I was talking about this with somebody today. It's like the nation of Israel and the church. Um, we exist, the relationship that we have with Israel's Messiah is we're actually the bride of the bridegroom. And what's gonna happen when the timing is right, what will happen is Israel's eyes will be opened and they will see a bunch of Gentiles with their Messiah as his bride. The one that, that nationally they rejected he took a wife from the Gentile nations. We exist, what we have with the Lord provokes them to jealousy. It will provoke Israel to repentance and they'll receive Christ. At Christ's return, all Israel shall be saved. Man, that's incredible. When the timing is right, they will be provoked to jealousy, they'll see it. We crucified our Messiah, we blew it, and now the world's coming for us. The Antichrist wants to destroy us. And all these people that historically we looked at as Gentile dogs, they're the bride of our Messiah. I mean, it'll be, a, it'll be an incredible thing. That's a principle. Your right relationship with God, that is gonna, that's gonna be the thing that God uses in the life of the people that are around you. He'll use that, the reality of your relationship with the Lord. But pull us all, and you try to fix them through your own wisdom, you try to fix you try to fix difficult circumstances through worldly mechanisms, and all you're gonna do is end up frustrating the grace of God. Brothers and sisters, let's not settle for anything less than taking God at his word. Let's be full of faith. God, will, God is with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He is empowering us for the work that's before us. Is this making sense? Turn to your neighbor and tell him, don't be Saul. Do not be Saul.
Okay, now say back to your neighbor, you need to pray for me so I won't be Saul. <laughs> right? You need to pray for me so I won't be Saul. Can we pray for one another that we would be a people who walk in faith? That we'd not respond to the work that's before us in fear? That we wouldn't listen to a spirit of fear? That we'd listen to the word of God? I know you know all of this, but you need to be, we need to be put in remembrance of it. All right, let's pray for each other. Let's have a season of prayer and then we'll dismiss.